Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. This morning, I want to talk to you about five guys. And these are not the five guys who are really good at making hamburgers, who started a restaurant chain in 1986. You might want to meet those five guys after church today. I do recommend them. But the five guys that we're going to talk about today, we will meet in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, the last part of that chapter. And these are five guys that were invited to meet Jesus. And when they met Jesus, they chose to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus. So five guys who followed Jesus from John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. What I'm going to do is just kind of read the text and then just narrate it a little bit. And then we'll come back to some some conclusions, some principles that I think will impact and should impact our lives today. First, though, before we read the text, let's remember the context. If you were here last week, uh, we read and studied the passage that comes right before this one, and we were reading about this very strange wilderness prophet, an eccentric prophet, a man of God that was preaching out in the barren desert wilderness. His name was John the Baptist. And John was making it very clear that he was not the long-awaited Messiah. Some thought he was, but he was not. In fact, he was very diligent in pointing others to the one who was coming, the chosen one, the one that would be the Lamb of God who would save the world from their sins. He was pointing people to Jesus, getting them ready to meet Jesus. And so we've just heard about that, and then he baptized Jesus out in the wilderness desert, the Jordan River, right before it flows into the Dead Sea. And then we pick up on this story. It says, the next day, John, meaning John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Then verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Let's pause here for just a moment. What I think is happening is we find out that there were five guys, we're going to meet all five of them in just a moment, who I think took a road trip. It was a spiritual pilgrimage. These five guys, Andrew was one of them, Peter was another, uh, and we'll meet the rest in just a moment, but they all lived on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
and they were all from fishing villages. In fact, we know three of them, at least three of them were from the very same village. And what I think happened is that these five guys had heard about this eccentric wilderness prophet preaching out in the desert near the Dead Sea, and they decided to take a road trip, a spiritual pilgrimage to go down. It was a 90-mile journey by foot, probably took them about four days, had to bring all of their water and food to survive in that desert environment. So they planned and packed and took a road trip to meet John the Baptist. And after they met him and heard him preach, no doubt, some of them, especially we know two of them, decided that they were going to make John the Baptist their rabbi. They were going to be disciples of John the Baptist. And Andrew was one of them. And so John was meeting with his disciples and he was teaching them. And while he's doing that, suddenly Jesus walks by. And John turns around and he sees Jesus and he basically says, look, the Lamb of God, this is the guy I've been telling you about. This is the one you should be following. And so immediately, Andrew and an unnamed disciple, we'll talk about who I think he was in just a moment, but Andrew and this other disciple turned around and saw Jesus and they basically began to follow him. Literally. And Jesus sees this and says, what do you want? And so they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And I think that's code for saying, Jesus, we want to hang out with you. Would that be okay? And Jesus replied and said, come and you will see, meaning you'll see where I'm staying, which is code for absolutely. You're welcome to come and hang out with me. And so they went and saw where he was staying and it was about four in the afternoon, and they then spend at least the evening with Jesus. And apparently that was enough to make a life-transforming difference in these two men's lives. And one of them, we're told, was Andrew, and immediately it says, Andrew, after he heard uh, what John saw and, and he had followed Jesus, the first thing he did, verse 41, was he went to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And then he brought him, meaning Peter, his brother, Simon, he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and he gave him a new name, a nickname. He said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. Now, Cephas is an Aramaic word, and that was the common language of the day. That's what really they all spoke uh, was Aramaic, and Cephas means stone or rock. And if you translate that into Greek, it would have been Petros, which meant Peter, which also means stone or rock. And he says, from now on, you're going to be called Cephas and later we know he was also called Peter, nickname, a nickname that Jesus gave to Peter. And I think that's a very significant name, nickname. We'll talk about that as well. Then we read this, verse 43. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. That's where these guys were from. The five guys had traveled from Galilee. He decides he's going to go to Galilee 
And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Again, that's a town, a small fishing village on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's located right where the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we know that Andrew and Peter and Philip were all from Bethsaida, perhaps even others among the disciples. And so we said that Philip then, it said, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So again, what they're saying is, man, we, we found the one, the chosen one, the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, and here he is. He's, his name is Jesus. This was the common way they would introduce people. They would tell their name, and then they would tell where they're from, and then they would give a family lineage or family background. And so he says his name is Jesus. He's from the town of Nazareth, another village in Galilee. It was 40 miles from, this, from Bethsaida. And he says he is the son of Joseph. And we, of course, we know he was Joseph, talking about Joseph, Jesus' father, the carpenter uh, from Nazareth. Well, look what we see uh, Philip, or Nathaniel says. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Now, Nathaniel happens to be, we find out later, from a town called or a village called Cana. You might remember where Jesus performed his very first miracle. It was at a wedding in what little village? It was the village of Cana. And so that's where Nathaniel was from. And for some reason, he doesn't have a very good view of Nazareth. It would have only been about four miles from Nazareth to Cana. And so they were neighboring villages. So I don't know if this was just kind of a rivalry like Maybe somebody from Bitten would say, man, can anything good come from Bryant or vice versa? Or maybe North Little Rock and Little Rock. I don't know. Maybe it was kind of that kind of rivalry between the Nazareth Knights and the Cana Cats. Who knows? <laughs> but probably there was more to it. We do know that in Jesus' lifetime that there was a Roman military garrison stationed in Nazareth. And uh, so there were Roman soldiers, Gentiles in that city that for a, a Jewish person, especially somebody like Nathaniel that we see was a very dedicated Israelite, knew and studied the scriptures, wanted to, wanted to see Israel become a great nation again, wanted the Messiah to come, was longing for the Messiah. For him, a city, a village that was full of Gentiles would have been uh, less than ideal. Perhaps that's why he is making this statement. But love what Philip says to him. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks. And then look what Philip says. He just says, come and see. Just come and meet this guy. Check him out for yourself. Come and see. And you too will understand who he is and why I'm wanting you to meet him. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
That's a real compliment to Nathaniel. He was a man, apparently, that was what we would say gallus. He was very innocent. He was very honest. He was very forthright. He was very devoted. And we think part of his devotion was to the Old Testament scriptures. And then he says, how do you know me? Nathanael asked Jesus. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And so Nathanael is suddenly his, his interest is piqued. He said, how in the world does this guy know that I was under a fig tree? And the fig trees, apparently it was a common for people to study scripture, especially Israelite men, to study and read the word, have their devotionals, if you will, under a tree. And Jesus identifies the specific tree that Nathanael was under, and that was impressive to him. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the story when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. You might remember that story when Jesus asked her who her, to go and get her husband, and she said, I'm not married. And he said, you're, you're telling the truth. You're not married. And he said, the one you're with now is, is not your husband, and you've been with four. And so suddenly the woman said, how in the world does this guy know these things? And she went back, and that was part of her testimony to her village, is this guy's telling me things about myself that he, he shouldn't know. How could he know these things? Telling me all about my life. Well, Nathaniel was also impressed. And when Jesus told him that about the fig tree, verse 49, Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He was an immediate believer in Jesus, the Messiah. And then Jesus, I think, kind of laughs and says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Just wait is basically what Jesus is telling him. Get ready. You're going to see some great, great things. And then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending or ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And really he's referring to this, you might remember in Genesis 28, one of the great patriarchs of Israel was Jacob. And he had a dream where he saw heaven and earth, and he saw almost like this staircase, this ladder, this heavenly ladder, and the angels were going back and forth between heaven where God was and between the earth. And so Jesus is basically saying, you're going to see the angels of God moving and working and ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we have it. Five guys who met Jesus and chose to follow Jesus, and Jesus absolutely transformed their lives. Let me just give kind of a quick profile of these guys and, uh, and as we get to know them. We're introduced to them here, but we have other texts in the Gospels giving us a little bit more background on these five young men uh, who chose to follow Jesus, five of Jesus' disciples. First of all, Andrew. The profile I would give to Andrew is this guy was consistently introducing people to Jesus. I think he is a fascinating Bible character. In fact, he's one of my favorite Bible characters. And part of that goes back to who he was 
and the close association of friends that he had. Andrew was Peter's brother. We're told that here. And we also know he would have been best friends with James and John, two other disciples. They were also fishing partners together and probably all lived close together. Maybe all of them lived in Bethsaida at one time. So they were best friends and fishing partners. And as we continue to read the story about Jesus, though, something kind of unique is told to us. Jesus actually had an inner circle of the 12 disciples, and there were three of them that had very special privileges that were invited into situations that the others were not invited into. Situations like you might remember when Jairus, the synagogue ruler's daughter, had died, and Jairus had come. She was deathly ill. He had come to get Jesus to come and raise her, and on the way, he finds out that his daughter has actually died, but Jesus says, it doesn't matter. We're still going to go, and he went, and he went into the home, and he took three disciples with him. Who were the three? It was Peter, Andrew's brother, and James and John, Andrew's best friends and fishing partners. They got to go in and see this miracle firsthand. We have another story called the Transfiguration later in the Gospels where Jesus is transformed and we have this heavenly experience where Moses and Elijah actually come and meet with Jesus and speak to Jesus. Guess who was there? The inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Who was missing? Andrew. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus allowed three disciples to come and sit close to him while he prayed. Who were they? Again, Peter, James, and John. Andrew seems to be left out. But you never pick up on any animosity by Andrew about this, any jealousy. You don't see any of that. What you see is a very humble follower of Christ who knew that he could play a significant role in the gospel ministry simply by introducing people to Jesus. And we just have like three little stories about Andrew's life. This is one of them. And in all three of them, he's bringing people to Jesus, introducing people to Jesus. This story here where immediately he meets the Messiah, the first thing he does is he goes and gets his brother Simon, who then becomes Peter, to meet Jesus. We also see another story in, the, the, uh, in John chapter 12 where we find out some Greeks probably Gentiles wanted to meet Jesus. They came to a guy, they came to Philip, the Philip that we meet here, and said, we want to meet Jesus. Is that okay? Philip didn't know if it was okay or not, I, is, is kind of how I read it. So he goes to Andrew and says, is it okay to bring these guys to Jesus? And, and Andrew says, of course. And so Philip and Andrew brought the Greeks to Jesus. And they, again, no doubt, heard the gospel and had a chance to believe and follow. Then we also have another interesting story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that story? This huge crowd had gathered around the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, they were now worried about how are we going to feed these guys. Jesus said, well, why don't you feed them, told the disciples. And they said, well, how are we going to feed them? It's thousands of people. We don't have any way to do that. But guess what happened? Somebody brought someone to Jesus who had a sack lunch of fish and bread, 
a little boy. Who was the one that brought that guy to Jesus? It was Andrew. He didn't have the answers. But all he knew was he could just, if he could get them to Jesus, Jesus had the answers. And he would take care of them. So all the way through the story, we see a very humble Andrew who knows that one of the great things he can do is simply bring people to Jesus. I think there's a great life lesson for us in his life and story. The next disciple was Peter. And of course, we know a whole lot more about Peter than we do his brother, Andrew. Peter, of course, was a key, key leader in the early church. In fact, I think we could say Peter was the foundational leader upon which Jesus built his church. And we have this name. Remember, he, he gave him the name Cephas, Aramaic, Aramaic means stone or rock, Petros in Greek, which means stone or rock. And basically, there is a story where Jesus tells Peter, upon you, you are, you are Peter, the rock, and upon you, I'm going to build my church. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And we have debated, theologians have debated exactly what did Jesus mean by that. And I believe he means that Peter was going to be a foundational leader of the early church. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Peter is transformed by Jesus. And he ends up becoming this huge instrumental leader. I think that's why Jesus gave him that nickname. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be a foundational stone. And I'm going to use in extraordinary ways to build my church. What a great story. You know, Peter was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. One of the books that I looked at talking about these different disciples, the, the chapter on Peter, this is the title of his chapter on Peter. He says it's the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth, right? Saying things that he didn't understand, making promises that he could not deliver on, so on and so forth. And yet what happens? Through the story, through their life experience, through his encounters with Jesus, he's transformed. And he becomes this powerful foundational leader that God uses in great ways to build his church. See, Jesus is in the business of taking people that are very imperfect and then working in their lives and then helping them to accomplish his perfect will. That's what, what he does. I think there is a message and a life lesson for us in Peter as well. The next one is Philip. We don't know a whole lot about Philip, but everything we read about him makes me think he was a skeptic. He was one of these guys that wasn't going to be gullible. He wanted to have evidence. He wanted to see. He wanted to think through decisions. And what we're telling, though, is he's the guy that tells Nathaniel, just come and see. After spending just a short amount of time with Jesus, he had the, all the evidence he needed that this guy's for real. He really is the anointed one, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He is the one we need to be following. 
And he was able then to tell his friend Nathaniel, just come and see. I love that story. I love that phrase, especially coming from someone that would not be easily convinced. We also see kind of traits in Philip's life that he was an organizer, liked to get things in order. And so God uses people like Philip in great ways. Nathaniel, the fourth disciple, the fourth guy that followed Jesus, a truth seeker who found truth in Jesus. That was the compliment that Jesus was giving him. You are one that's really been looking for the Messiah. You've been studying the scriptures. You've been waiting. You are a truth seeker. You're innocent. You're honest. Great characteristics for a person. And I really think we need to see here that those who seek truth like Nathaniel will find truth in Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful story. God loves it when we go deep in Scripture, when we are looking to understand Scripture, when we choose to align our lives by the values that Scripture teaches us. I think that's really the example of Nathaniel. And then the last one. Who's the last of the five guys? Well, it was the unnamed disciple that was with Andrew following John the Baptist. Who is this guy? Why is he not named? Well, most theologians, most scholars, and I agree with them, believe it's the guy who wrote the book, the disciple John. You know, there's a strong church tradition that John the Apostle wrote this book. He was the last living disciple, would have written it when he was in his 80s or 90s, late, late in life. All the other disciples had already died. He was the last surviving disciple. And he writes this book, but he does not tell us that he's the author. And I think that is part of his humility. All he says, he identifies himself in the story as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that about John. He's basically just saying, I'm just the guy who was lucky enough to be loved by Jesus. And I'm getting to tell you this. He would have had superstar credentials in the early church. The last surviving disciple He would have been the one that everybody looked up to, but he never played that card. He always was humble, wouldn't even name himself in this story. But I think he was the unnamed disciple who was transformed. He had a transformation too. If you read the rest of the scriptures about him, he too was given a nickname by Jesus along with his brother James. And what was their nickname? Sons of Thunder. That probably means that these guys were extremely zealous, perhaps had an aggressive temperament, and, uh, and sometimes they didn't really have a lot of compassion. We actually read a story in Luke chapter 9 where they go to a Samaritan village, the disciples do, with Jesus. They're not welcomed. And so guess what the sons of thunder tell Jesus? Lord, should we call fire down from heaven? That's basically like saying, hey, let's just drop a nuclear bomb on these guys and get out of here. And Jesus then rebukes them for their lack of compassion. And then another story in Mark 10, two of the disciples, James and John, 
approach Jesus and says, say to him, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on your right and left. Basically, we want to hold positions of power and have positions of honor and greatness. And Jesus, again, has to rebuke them and say, you know, in my kingdom, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. So these are the sons of thunder. Well, something happens between those stories and fast forward maybe 60, 70 years down the road where John won't even name himself in his gospel because he doesn't want to take any credit. I'm just the guy lucky enough to be loved by Jesus. We see a transformation, the unnamed disciple who was transformed from an arrogant son of thunder into a humble spiritual shepherd. Great life lesson for all of us. So let's just kind of wrap this up a minute. We're meeting these guys, these five guys who met Jesus, chose to believe in Jesus, and then were invited into a relationship with him where they followed him with their lives. Big picture concepts. One, we're all called to introduce our friends and families to Jesus. That's really something, a responsibility we all should hold. And it's not super hard. We just need to be inviters. I love how this story kind of unfolds. The, the, John the Baptist introduced Andrew and John to Jesus. Andrew then goes and introduces his brother to Jesus. And we think some believe that he actually also introduced Philip to Jesus. And then Philip introduces Nathaniel to Jesus. We see a pattern, don't we? That's how it's supposed to work, where we find Jesus, we fall in love with Jesus, we know we have something extraordinary in our relationship with Jesus that's life-transforming, and then we go to our family members. We want to share it. We want them to know him like we do. We go to our friends. We go to our work associates, our neighbors. We should be inviting anyone and everyone to come and meet our Jesus. And one of the most powerful ministries we can have is just to be like Andrew, just constantly be inviting, consistently being inviting people into our church, into our worship services, into our Bible studies, our D groups, to vacation Bible school. We have kids in our neighborhoods that all we have to do is invite them and even bring them. That would be a huge ministry. We need to introduce our friends and families to Jesus. A second big picture thing is we, will all, we all have unique ministry roles in Jesus' kingdom work. All of these guys had different gifts and different roles that they played in ministry. We too have different gifts. We talked about the body of Christ in our prayer time. And all of us are different. We're all part of the one body, but we all have different roles, different gifts, different talents different experiences in our, in our workplace. All of that needs to be leveraged for the kingdom of God. And we don't all have to be the same, but we all have to be using our unique gifts uniquely for the kingdom of God. A third big picture concept is those who seek God find God. 
I think these five guys were on a mission seeking God. Took a a 90-mile road trip to go out into the barren desert wilderness to meet this eccentric wilderness prophet named John the Baptist to hear the gospel. And then when they heard the gospel, they met Jesus. They were seeking Jesus, and they found Jesus. Nathaniel had been seeking Jesus by reading the scriptures and by praying for the Messiah, and he found Jesus. That's what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who seek will find So be a seeker, and you will find him, and as you continue to seek, you'll find more and more out about him. And then finally, God calls ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I love this about these five guys. Galilean country bumpkins is how they would have been known. Really didn't have a lot of theological training, if any. They were just rugged fishermen who met Jesus. Ordinary people who met an extraordinary Lord who used them to do extraordinary things. If you feel like you're a little bit ordinary here today, you're just the type of person that God wants to use to do extraordinary things for him. Will you meet him? And when you meet him, will you believe in him? And when you believe in him, will you choose to follow him? And if so, he will do the rest. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.